This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May 12th, 2022, episode 2932. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? Never stop learning, never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse. Exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Mary Kitzmiller. Mary stops by the second Thursday of every month, and we get to sit down and geek out on all things horse training. How you doing there, Mary? Not too shabby. We've got the Texas heat slowly rolling in, and uh, I've already seen a lot of California transplants on TikTok going, oh my gosh, it's so hot. It's 80 degrees. I'm like, <laughs> little do you know. <laughs> this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Typically, do you guys have four seasons or are you one of those areas of the country that has winter and summer? We have like 79 seasons, <laughs> um, but summer takes up 95% of the year. And then the rest of the time, the rest of the time is um, Texas tricking you into thinking the weather's getting cooler, but it's not. It never does. It never does. Except when we have a snow apocalypse and then everything shuts down and we panic. <laughs> it's so funny because many of us hail from parts of the country where the standing joke is, you know, if you don't like the weather, wait half an hour, it'll change. And you can have all four seasons in the same week and things like that. There seems to be a lot of places in the country that have that. Yeah, yeah. Like people are like, oh, you know, if, if you don't like the weather in Kansas, just stick around. And I'm I've grown to think that's everywhere, but maybe like Southern California or maybe tropical areas where you kind of have two seasons, rainy, not rainy, still hot. Um, but yeah, it feels <laughs> like in the US, I think every state kind of has that motto. And and I've been all over the country and it rings true most places I've been. There we go. So stop complaining about the weather. It changes everywhere. <laughs> but what else do I do with my time? There you what go. else do I complain about? Well, there's plenty, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things we're not complaining about is I've been enjoying your TikTok posts of your mini mules that you just got in and working with them in training. So let's start at the beginning of mini mule challenge. How did this come out? Where are they at? Introduce us, etc. Well, you know, I like a good training challenge and, uh, I had already t I had a whole bunch of people ask me this year, are you going to do the Mustang makeover? Are you going to do Fort Worth makeover? And I'm like, no, no, I've got to concentrate on my own horses and, you know, do responsible things. And then um, I got tagged a couple of times in this mini meal challenge. And I'm like, I'm totally spending my time doing that. And it's 
it's been really fun. Um, but this is a challenge that was put on by, there's a rescue in San Angelo, Texas called a uh, lost meadow mule refuge. And they are, um, uh, a, a little mule sanctuary that is an offshoot of a bigger donkey sanctuary. And so I got to go to this place in San Angelo. And um, if you've never been out to San Angelo, it's like kind of more the wild. You're getting into the wild part of Texas. It's technically central Texas, but it feels very West Texas, windy, cactuses, rocks everywhere, really kind of cool area. And this place had, I believe, 1,200 donkeys and then uh, over 100 mules, which was well, just like heaven for where, me. Wait, stop, stop. Where did you put that many animals? Are they all just in giant fields and things? Yeah. So um, that area of Texas is not particular. There's grass. There's grass and stuff. But it's you're almost getting into kind of a deserty feel. Um, so it is a very large place. I don't know how many acres, but they all have lots of room to roam about. There's, um, you know, really big areas where they can, they can roam. And then there's lots of smaller pins, which is convenient for, you know, this areas, if we're going to quarantine new ones or this, this little corral is for ones we just got in and they need to gain weight. Um, and then they've got it all set up, even if they're not halter broke to be able to do their shots and their feet and their teeth. And they're really good at huh. keeping up on that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's um I pulled into there. I think the I can't even remember when it was very beginning of May. And this is going to be unlike the makeovers I've done, this is going to be sort of a virtual challenge, meaning at the end of this we're not meeting up at a venue and performing. Um we'll film where we are and submit that to the judges. And it goes from the official start date is June 1st. That's the official training date, but we've all picked up our meals by now. And of course we're, we're welcome to start training them. Um, and then it goes all the way till November. So that's a ton of time for these little mini meals. Um, and this was something that the, the girl who's running the day-to-day -day operations, um, cooked up. Her name is Maddie. She's really awesome. She is like single-handedly taking care of all these meals and she knows all of their names. And like I said, there's over a hundred of them. Um, so she was, she thought, well, why don't I make some sort of training challenge? There's a few other rescues in Texas that have done the same thing. So she modeled it after that thinking, you know, I hope I get an applicant. She had a whole mess of applicants because who doesn't want to train a mini mule? And so we um, should, we got five competitors picked, and we all picked up our meals, and we're starting our training with them. Um, everyone's gotten well underway. So how do are they all mini mules in this particular challenge? So they are all under a certain measurement. I can't remember what that is, but I would say that a few of them, more than a few of them are more like Shetland pony size. So yeah. I would technically call them pony meals. Um, but one person got the teeniest meal in the bunch who just looked adorable. Definitely a mini. So whenever you went to pick out your candidates, each and every trainer had to take two home and explain why that happened. 
Actually, the two was the option. So we're competing with one mule, but we all have the option to take two just to have a companion um, for the other one. Um, so like if you don't have other minis or other animals, the mule's going to go out with taking two is a good idea because, you know, they can, because they're very social animals and it's really hard for them to be all by themselves. So and of that, course I That makes two. them a little bit different than a horse, a, a mule more so even than a donkey. I'm not sure. Um, really don't thrive as a single equid. Well, and the funny thing about that is, um, I have mules, donkeys, a Z donk, and horses, all in these in my two big pastures, and um, they segregate. All the donkeys are in their herd. The mules kind of will go in between the two, and then the horses are their bunch. The Z donk identifies as a donkey. Uh, so even though I think she's kind of like a mule, she doesn't really hang out with the mules, not in horses. She's a donkey. Um, interesting. And so, yeah. So even I've seen pasture pastures with horses and donkeys, but if that donkey's by itself, I, I really do think that there is a bit of a loneliness factor there. It's really good for them to have another long year around. Um, cause like I said, they're extremely social animals. Well, and they, they, their social structure is a little bit different than a horse, as is their their hard wiring. They they're not quite the same as a horse, and, and that makes perfect sense. I guess it's a little bit like uh, if you're a human, you could hang out with an orangutan just right, but that's not a human. It is going yeah. to be different. <laughs> or like if you were to drop me in a group of people from different countries that didn't speak English, we'll get along. But I would be really grateful to find, you know, another American or English speaker because I'll definitely relate to them more and be able to communicate with them better. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think I think there's something there. Uh, you know, I think they kind of like to be with others that are more like them. So how did you decide um, which mini donkeys to pick out of the group? And how many did you have to choose from? Did you have the whole 100 to choose from? No, she brought up, I forgot how many she brought up. Uh, I think it was like 12 or 15 of, you know, you're trying to get a group that um, they're all as close to being the same as you can um, and all would make good candidates to go on and uh, find homes. Because the point of this is to get um, more exposure for the rescue and to get these guys into new homes. And I've already told my mom, these guys are going to new homes. We're not keeping them because we have enough. We have plenty of long ears and these guys deserve to go to new and awesome homes. So, um, so yeah. And each trainer, when we arrived at San Angelo that we could have had them delivered, but I, of course I wanted to go. I'm always up for an adventure. And we all, whenever we came, we all came separate times, got to kind of walk through them a little bit, interact with them a little bit and decide, you know, oh, I think I'm going to get along with this one, or this is the one I want to take. And I ended up coming up down, uh, back with two that were not my first picks, but then they ended up becoming my, my chosen ones. So what were some of the factors that made you choose one over another? What are some of the things that you um, would would uh, disqualify a potential 
training project or what uh, trait perhaps that would make you want to put them on the long list? Well, initially when I went through them, I was like, I'm going to go for the tiniest and cutest one possible. Of course which you is would. <laughs> super professional of me. Um, and I did find this little Gruya that was so adorable, so tiny. He had the most, mules tend to not grow the biggest, the longest manes. It, it kind of flops all over and sticks up. That's why Typically, like when we show meals, we we roach them. Um, it just looks much neater and cleaner and everything. But this guy, had, he looked like Bon Jovi. He was fantastic. Um, and so initially, I was like, that that one. He's too adorable for words. Um, and the reason I didn't go with him, there was no real reason. It's just that two others kind of... Uh, I, I got sentimentally attached to him. Um, so when I walked into the, I, I didn't have any, well, he has to do this or he has to, you know, do that training wise, because the way I'm treating this, we're trying to get them into new homes. I'm going to put my best effort possible, but I'm not, it's, it's no big deal to me what kind of history they have or what kind of work they need. Um, we've got so much time that I'm, you know, I, I was, I was pretty, lacks about what I, you know, my, this is what I'm looking for. But the two that ended up, um, really grabbing my attention. One was a mule named Samuel and he's, a brown mule, solid brown mule with white points. So kind of donkey colored. And the reason I latched on him, he's got the sweetest face in the whole world. And he was the first one. He like I went in there. These were all evaluated as unhandled. So we're going with the assumption that they're not halter broke. Um, we're going to have to sort of treat them like Mustangs to an extent. So but he walked right up to me and he's like, hey, I'm Samuel. And <laughs> so I really liked him. Um, plus, he was 12. He was kind of right off the cutoff of being a little old for the competition. And I, you know, I was like, oh, he's 12 and I would love to get him a new home and, and everything. So I was really attached to Samuel. And the other guy, I wasn't necessarily looking for color, but um, the other guy's Baxter, and I believe he's five. And he is a bay mule with four white socks. Um, and so I was like, oh, he matches my Mustang Remy. Um, but Baxter also came up to me. We, um, these guys, the rescue had them all pretty well acclimated to cookies. So as soon as we got a bag of cookies out, they were like, oh, we're, we're going to be a part we're of that. We're on this. <laughs> yeah. I was surrounded. But Baxter came up and he was taking cookies. And the lady who was helping me pick the meal, she was like, oh, he doesn't come up to anyone. And of course... I'm like, oh, then, then he must be mine, you know. <laughs> like, I have a special connection with him. So, and I was only going to get one, but of course, I decided to get two because um, I have a mini horse and a mini mule at home, and my intention was to put the new mini mule in with them after a certain period of time. But these guys are a bit larger than the ones I have at home, and I thought, mm, I think I'm going to keep them separated. So. Um, I got both Baxter and Samuel so that they could be buddies during the training process. So they're not only buddies during the training process, but they're both getting trained. Yes. Uh, I have to pick my actual competitor by June 1st, but they're both going to go through the same amount of training because, again, the intent is to get them into new homes. So I want them both as prepared as possible. 
There we go. Well, um, right after we catch up on Mary's latest adventures, which are always fun, the next thing we do in the show each and every month is chat a little bit about Mary's training tip. And apparently this month's training tip was inspired by your two new two new mini mules. Say that three times fast. And right after we hear about what's going on at Horseware, we're going to delve into that. In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. And it's training tip time. Now, the first thing after you got mini mules to let you touch them was halter breaking. And before we got started with the show today, you said you have the easiest way in the universe to halter break a mini mule. So how did this whole process come about? How did it go with the mules? Fill me in. Okay. Yes. So... Um, halter breaking is something I've done a lot of because of the Mustang makeovers. And, you know, I've been in halter breaking mule with a uh, mode with these two little mules. But the other reason I was inspired to make this tip is I'm in a lot of Mustang groups on Facebook and there are a lot of people who are trying their hardest and they're putting everything into trying to connect with their Mustang. And for whatever reason, they can't get the halter on the horse and, you know, it can be really discouraging because all you want to do is connect with them. And I tell you what, horses that aren't handled, Mustangs especially, and mules especially, they are very good at evading any kind of thing that they think might make them feel trapped. So they, you know, they'll tolerate you touching them, but then as soon as you're trying to get the halter on them, they're like, nope, never mind. And <laughs> it can be really discouraging. Um yeah, and I've totally been there. I think everyone who's tried it has gone through this. And um, so I thought I would share some of my tips. So uh, I have halter broke Mustangs just about every which way you can. I love to experiment. I've done everything from your kind of round pinning Monty Roberts techniques and getting them to hook on. Um, and then I've, you know, I've worked done lariat rope where you actually lasso them and get them to give to the pressure of the lariat and then go move to the halter. I've done the bamboo pole method, which is really cool. Um, there's a trainer up in Oregon who promotes that, uh, Kitty Lawman, I believe. Um, so that's where you touch them with a really long bamboo pole because they can't get away from that pole. It's super long. And once they get used to that, then you get closer and closer and then you can work the halter on. I've done complete positive reinforcement training to where it was just me. And with my Mustangs, it's a flake of alfalfa because they wouldn't take treats and marking all the behaviors that I liked until I got a halter on them. I've, I've just done it every which way. And I found really cool, um, things from each method. There's, there's, it, I was really glad I experimented because I've, um, I think I've narrowed it down to a pretty simple method. Um, and it's also based off of, I think I've talked about it on here before. There's a method, um, created by a guy in Australia. He calls it the four BP method. Um, and that is very similar to, uh, the kind of join up 
bit in the round pen. The only difference is you're actually not round pitting them ahead of time. You start straight with, I'm going to work on this connection right now. And I've used this and then added all of my knowledge for many years to, to get a really clean, simple, um, I want to. I I I almost balk at saying easy because the minute I'm like, this is so easy. I'm gonna find a horse that's gonna really challenge me. So, but yeah, it has been pretty easy the last several. <clears throat> so, we tend when we tend to think about halter breaking. Um, I know myself when I started, I would get so anxious, like I have to get the halter on this horse because you want to get a halter on him. You want to make sure that you can teach them how to lead because what if the barn's on fire? You got to get him out of the barn or what if they're sick or man, I really need to get his feet done or I need to get his teeth done or whatever. So you think of all these things in your head and you're like, I have to get that halter on. But instead of thinking about getting the halter on their head, for that horse, an unhalter broke horse, that's pretty advanced. Um, sometimes that's more than they can imagine happening, more than we can imagine happening. So you got to start. There's a million things you want to get working for you before you get the halter on. And if you get those things working right, then putting the halter on is the easiest thing in the world. So with these mules, with the Mustangs, the first thing I do, I keep them in a reasonably small pen. These little minis are in a, I want to say it's like a 40 by 50 foot long rectangle pin. Um, I've done this in larger areas. You can do this like in an 80 by 80 pin. Um, smaller is better. It doesn't have to be round. In fact, I like, I've grown to really like square pins because I want them to kind of go into the corner and, um, you know, I feel like it gives them a more opportunity to explore and find out what the answer is. Um, but you could technically do this on, on a pasture. It's just going to take a bit longer, a little bit more patience. Um, so first thing that I do is I create a rule with the animal that I'm halter breaking. And it's when I walk into the pen, I want you to look at me. And that's where we start. I don't think about trying to touch him. I don't think about trying to get him in a corner and get the halter on him. All I want to establish is when I'm in the pen, look at me. And with Mustangs and with these mini mules, it's actually fairly easy because a wild Mustang, unless he's thinking about escaping, he wants to put his eyes on you because he doesn't know what you're about. He doesn't know why you're in there. It's actually more difficult with a horse that is very acclimated to humans because they're like, ah, I know you feed me. I don't really need to look at you. I'm just, I'm going to look over the fence at my buddies. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually have to get a little bit more interesting to those kinds of horses, which includes a lot of random noise making and jumping jacks and me looking like a lunatic pretty much. But a Mustang, um, sometimes they are already like, I want, I want to look at you and see what you're up to. Um, so that's what I start with. And let's say I walk in there and they run in the corner and they don't want to look at me. I'm going to create just enough energy, whether I'm clapping my hands together or I'm scooching my feet and kicking them a little dirt or waving my arms, whatever. Sometimes in the case of domestic horses, I've actually had to have a lead rope and twirl it or even use a flag to really make myself like, you know, kind of crazy. So they do look at me and they're like, what the heck are you about? But usually with your wilder ones, it takes very little. Um, so just enough energy that they look for an answer, but you don't want to drive them into complete flight mode to where, oh, I'm thinking about jumping over the pin now. You don't want to terrify them. 
because they're not going to learn in that mode. But you see, you just create enough energy that they're going to look for the answer. And so if they try to run, I actually don't want them to run around. I will block them. Um, so I'll take a step to the left or right and say, no, running around is not the answer. Um, and I just keep at it. And one of these one one time they're going to make an effort and actually look at me. As soon as they do that, I stop everything and I back way the heck up. I'll turn around. If it's a really, really wild horse, horse maybe I walk out of the pen completely. But I want to do everything I can to take the pressure off, off, off and show them that's it. That was the right answer. Um, and so I'm going to do that many, many times, several times until – they realize, okay, looking at this person is the path of least resistance. With these mini mules, I was extremely lucky because even though they are unhandled, they did not want to be touched. I had no idea if they've ever had a halter on in their life. I'm going with the assumption that they didn't, um, but they do know what treats are. So I was extremely blessed in that not only could I back up several steps, but I could start offering them a treat every time I released. And they realized really quick, oh, man, facing this person, that's the best thing ever because we get the treats. So you can use a bit of negative reinforcement, which is the releasing of pressure, backing up, and positive reinforcement, which is a reward. So you can combine the two together. So, so with the two mini exactly. mules, to get things started, did you have to, or did you, did you get them, so you walk into the round pen, they don't acknowledge your existence, or did they right away? Mm-hmm. So I did actually separate them. I have this great little setup on the back corner of my property that used to be cattle pens. So it's several corrals and gates, and there's even a chute that used to lead to like a doctoring chute and everything. I don't use that, but I, I was able to easily, there's two same size corrals and every they are together when I'm not working with them. And then when I walk in, I s- separate them. You can do this with two horses in this pen at the time at a time, but it's going to be really hard. So first thing I did was separate them. So it's me and the mule. Um, and uh, what was the question again? <laughs> Whenever you first, what, when you started the process and you first went into the pen with the mini mule, um, did they acknowledge your presence and then you moved on from there? Or when you first started, did you have to, uh, did they move around and you had to um, do things to get them to look at you? How did, how did it all begin that way? Oh, yeah. So when I walked into the pen with each meal, separate times, um, they both wanted to look at me. Um right. And so that part was pretty easy. And like I said, a Mustang will usually do the same. They're going to look at you. And so um, then what I will do is I will take a step to the side to where I'm not directly in their field of vision. I'm not right in front of them. And then if they don't turn and continue to look at me, that's when I will create a little bit of energy. And when I do that, they'll do one of two things. They'll go, oh, my gosh, that was scary and run off. Or they'll take a step and look at you. And so if they if they do what I hope they do is take a step and adjust themselves so they're looking right at me again, then I back up. If they go, oh my gosh, you made a noise, you clapped your hands and I'm scared and I'm going to go to the corner. I don't increase pressure because they're already looking for an answer. 
it's not the answer I want right now, but they're trying. They're like, what do I do? What do I do? Mm-hmm. So I will keep the same amount of energy. So if I clap my hands, I might just kind of clap, clap, clap. And, and, and one of these times, maybe they go into the corner or they go forward a few steps and I block them because again, I would I want to discourage them running around and around and around because you can get them running around and around and you'll end up using up a lot of horse, which I don't want to happen. Um, so I will just kind of block them gently left and right. And then one time it'll be a total accident. They'll be making a turn to the inside to go to the other way. But when they make that turn, they're going to look at me for a split second. And right at the split second where they're facing me, I get back, 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 back. So I may even run backwards. And, um, these wild guys figure it out so fast. They're like, oh, when I did that, she got away. And... I feel better when that happened because they don't know what you're about. And so they do feel pressure when you're near them. So I'm going to, if you look at me, I'm going to, I'm going to give you your space and I'll sit for a moment or two. Maybe it was really difficult to get that first face up. So I might sit for five minutes. I might just play on my phone. As long as they're looking at me, we don't have to do anything right now. And, um, then I'll, take another step. I'm like, okay, what if I walk over here? Are you going to look at me here? And if they do, I'm going to back up and say, yes, that's exactly what I wanted. If they go, if they decide to move or they don't do anything, they stand completely still, but they're not facing me, I'll create energy again. So the first several times, they're not going to know the answer. But if I release just right, if I back up at the right times, make a big deal out of it, treat it like they just won the Olympics, they're going to figure it out really quick. Okay, I should put my eyes on that person. Because you can't halter a horse that's running away from you. It seems really simple, but it took me, (laughs) yeah, it took me years to figure that out. If they're running away from you, I'm not getting a halter on. So what's the first thing I got to do? Make sure they don't run away. Make sure they face me. If they're facing me, they're not going to kick me. They're not going to run away from me. I can put that halter on rather easily. So once that happens, and I watch, I was watching your TikTok video posts on Facebook because I'm an old person and I don't do TikTok, but I get Facebook. I saw that you were working with them and you just had a long rope loosely root looped around the horse, the donkey's neck. Is that the, is that? a prerequisite to actual halter? Is that what happens? Yes. So, um, so to get to that point, I will do the lessons I just talked about to where no matter where I walk in the pen, they look at me. And again, these, these wild ones learn it really, really quick because they are so good at protecting themselves. They're like, when I look at this person, everything's good. I feel safer. So I'll get to where no matter where I walk, they will move those hindquarters and stay facing me. Now, before I get to the rope, what I will then start to do is I'll walk to the side, get them to face up, and then it's hard to explain uh, without actually seeing it. And this is a method that I learned years and years ago. It's a Jeffrey, KB Jeffrey's method, Australian trainer from about a century ago, I believe. Um, And he called it the magic lunge. And that's a whole other training tip. I could go into an hour explaining that. But what essentially happens is I get them to face me and then I walk away while trying to maintain the connection. Like I said, a little hard to explain. But what happens is they'll yield their hindquarters around to look at me and then they'll walk a step or two forward. And when they do that, I release. So before I ever get a halter on, they're following me around the pen like we have an invisible lead rope between us. So I'm already teaching them this is what leading is going to be. So where the rope comes in, before I even go to the rope, 
I'm going to try to get my hands on them. So from there, I've already taught the horse or mule facing me, good deal. So then what I'm going to start to do is walk directly toward them, not all the way up. I walk right to the edge of where I think they're going to stay still. It's right on the line between they're going to stand or they're going to leave. If they leave, I'll just catch them up again using that same method. But I don't want to have that happen if possible. But I also want to challenge them to accept more and more me getting close. So I walk up to them. I'll stay right in that red zone. And you can tell when it's going to happen. They start turning their head slightly. If you walk up to a horse in the pasture and he starts turning his head to look away, he's going to leave if you keep going. I think we miss that a lot of times with horses because they're standing still. So we're like, oh, I can go catch you. But if they if they turn their head, he is already thinking of leaving. When I see them start to turn their head, that's where I'm going to stand for a minute. And then I'm going to back away. So it's approach and retreat. And then I walk up to that line, see if I can take a step closer and then back up, walk up, back up, walk up, back up. And I will get to where I am within touching distance. At this point, what I start to do, reaching your arm out at this point, even though I'm close enough to touch them, that can be a lot of pressure for them. So as I close in that gap, I reach my arms and pretend like I'm petting them. I almost pretend there's an invisible horse in front of the horse I'm trying to touch, and I'm going to pet that horse, if that makes any sense. So I reach my hands out and pet the invisible horse and then back away. So they can get used to my hands reaching toward them and then getting back, and then reaching toward them and get, getting back. And then one of those times, I will reach toward them and I'll brush my fingers on their nostrils and then I back way, way up. And it almost happens like they almost don't realize that it's just happened. I back away way before they even think, hey, did you just touch me? <laughs> yeah. And... So that in and of itself could be an hour of explanation, but I go from, I, I work on that approach and retreat until I can touch them all over their face. I make sure I get my hands a little bit down their neck. I'll stay in front of them and I can reach my hand on either side of their neck and I start putting my hands in places like where I'm going to be tying that halter. I use a rope halter or I'm going to be buckling that halter. Um, and I'll slowly get to either side of them and I'll get to where I can touch them all over their head and neck and every place where that halter is going to be because I want to get that halter on. I want to get them used to that. So I get that happening really good. I don't progress any much further down their neck or the side. I'd rather have a halter on them for that just for safety purposes. Um, but I touch them everywhere that's important that they need to be desensitized to for me to get that halter on. And then I come in with the rope and so what I do at this point, and it's very the opposite of a lot of training techniques, is I have that rope in my hand. I'm very obvious with it. Like, look, there's a rope in my hand. I don't want to sneak it on them because I want them to know this is, hey, this is coming. And I will start doing the same approach and retreat. And again, by this time, I've gotten, I've done this hundreds of times. Walk up to them, walk away, walk up to them, walk away. I've practiced catching that horse literally a hundred times before I put that halter on him. Get him used to that. If you can't do that, if you can't walk up to your horse and he stands completely still, then you can't put a, don't put a halter on him. It's not going to happen. Um, so practice that a million times until that's the most boring thing in the world of the horse. So now I've got a new thing and I've got that lead rope and I will twirl that rope and I'm very casual about it. And most unhalter broke animals have not had a rope twirled that at them in a way that means move your feet. So they're actually easier to get this done because they don't know what that twirling that rope means. They know it's pressure, but it's never been used as a cue of run around. So 
um, they, they put it up with it pretty well. If it's a domestic horse and he's had a rope twirled at him that meant run around, it takes a little bit more practice and you have to be really casual with your body energy. But same thing, approach and retreat. So I twirl that rope, close the distance back up, do that a hundred times. And then I get to where I walk up to him and I can twirl that rope and they can see it out of either eye. So I'll switch hands and twirl that rope on both sides and they don't move. And then what I do from there is I'll just throw that rope over their head and neck. And it's usually a non-event. And I do that many times where I can walk up to you and fling that rope at you. And they're like, okay, um, if I can do that, I'm getting really close to getting that halter on. Um, and so, you know, I'm just, what all I'm doing here is I'm slicing down the thing that I want to happen, which is I want to walk up to you and put a halter on your head. I'm taking that and cutting it into tiny little bite-sized bite slivers that I think the horse can tolerate. And if I practice that hundreds of times, by the time I put the halter on, they're like, oh, all right, it's fine. Tiny, 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 tiny increments. There you go. It's called micro-shaping, if you want to get all behavioral science about it. So and if in this process, yes. for someone who wants to use this process, what is going to be a sign that you're doing it wrong? Because I think a lot of people have unsatisfactory results because they decide to use a process or a method to train a skill and they get partway through it and it's going wrong. They don't realize it's going wrong and they just keep right on pushing through. They just, they put the blinders on and just keep going, just keep going. What is going to tell someone, oh, it's not going well. You need to back up a few steps. So what you need to understand um, that will make you successful about this is um, when I used to start Mustangs, I would do a lot of little steps like this and I still fail at the halter process or it would, I would do it, but it'd be really awkward and the horse was kind of wanting to run and I got that halter on, but it didn't go as smooth as I wanted. And the reason for that is even though I was, yeah, technically breaking it down, um, in my head, I was like, I got to get the halter on. I got to get the halter on. I got to get the halter on. When you start thinking like that, you're thinking like a predator when you think like that. You, you, and you don't realize you're projecting that to that horse. You're getting really greedy with what you're asking of them. And it's just how a predator approaches an animal. They're like really sneaky and slow and they keep approaching and approaching and approaching and approaching until that horse is like, oh crap, I'm going to get eaten and they run. Um, so if you need to picture in your mind's eye with each step very intentionally, what do I want to happen? What is the answer? What's the right answer for this horse? What I'm, what am I going to release? So if I'm doing this approach and retreat, but I'm thinking halter, 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 I am going to miss a million opportunities to tell that horse he did a good job and it's going to be too much for him. It's going to overpower him. It could scare him. It's not going to work. So I act like. Oh, uh, we we don't have to get the halter on this month. We can do it next month, even though I really want to get it on today. But I put that part of me away, and I think, what's the first thing that needs to happen? What what the, can this horse succeed at? Well, I think I can get him to look at me no matter where I am in the pen. If that's not working, we don't work on anything else. Because if that doesn't work, none of the rest will work. You're building it on a really – you're building your house on a very crumbly foundation. Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to all come tumbling down. 
after a while. You've got to get that foundation good. And so, you know, once you get that succeeding, like, okay, I've, I've got him to look at me every time, everywhere I go in the pen, he looks at me. Okay. What's the next thing that's going to happen? It's not getting the halter on. That's a million steps away. Okay. Well, can I get him to look at me and follow forward a couple of steps as I walk around? And get you know, and th- and really picture in your mind what is the thing I'm going to release for? What is the answer for this horse? You're coming up with a very simple problem for them to solve each time, and then you move that goalpost a little bit, and say, okay, now what do I want to release for? What do I want to reward the horse for? Well, I want him to stand still while I walk toward him, and you get that working a million times. And then, okay, what's the next thing? Well, in order to get the halter on, I'm going to need to touch his face. So I want him to stand still while I touch his face, a little corner of his face. Not, I'm, you know, We're still a few steps away from being able to just put our hands right on his face. So you, um, you get really good at that several hundred times. And it sounds like, oh, this will take years. You can do it in a session. You don't ha- and, and I don't have to. If it takes a few days, it takes a few days. Um, so I would say that's the number one thing is with each, break it down into steps and you don't have to be an expert at this. You just, if you just think about it, think about what's it, what does everything need, what needs to be working for me to get a halter on this horse? Well, I need to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. Well, those are all your tasks. Break those tasks down. And then every time you go up to your horse, think, what am I going to reward this horse for? What is the answer I'm looking for? If you do that, you will get so much further. There you go. Well, speaking of halters and putting halters on horses, uh, we're going to hear a little bit from Trust Halters. And when we come back, we are going to do a listener cue. Well, Trust Design says, ditch the boring. Just because halters are pretty much the most utilitarian item in your kit doesn't mean they should look boring. Halters should be beautiful. Be the first in your barn to have halter style on point with a Trust Design halter. They are truly one-of-a-kind designer halters. Visit TrustDesign.com. That's spelled T-R-V-S-T Design.com. Well, we are going to step gently off the halter topic today, although halter might come into the conversation, I get to answer a listener cue because I'm a listener technically, right? Yeah, totally. One of the projects I have set for Nigel and I this summer, because in the summertime here in Florida, the weather's going to be too hot to do much riding for Nigel. He has a little bit of heat intolerance. He's a little bit anhydrosis. So I have to think up things to do with him that give us something to do but don't necessarily require physical effort. And one of the struggles Nigel has had since I got him, he came with baggage, regular listeners recognize this, is backing out of the horse trailer. Not a skill set. Getting into the horse trailer is barely a skill set. He has physical limitations that make it extra complicated. So one of the things I want to do this summer is teach him to walk into the horse trailer slowly, and then back out of the horse trailer quietly and confidently. Right now, we have a horse trailer that you go in the back and out the front. So it's not an issue. Um, so I've been practicing teaching him to go back one step at a time very thoughtfully. So he steps back and he knows exactly where he's putting his feet. Because tip, when I got him, 
anytime he would back up, he would just go backwards like a reigning horse. Yeah. And he did it on the lightest of cues, but he just went zoom. And he was unaware of what he was doing. He was just going fast. And if there was something in the way and he ran into it, he would point his finger at me and say, see, your fault. You told me to back up and it was uncomfortable. So we've been practicing that. And he's got a pretty good handle on it under saddle. When I back him under saddle, he will be very thoughtful and careful. And if there's a log in the way or he's near a fence, he will adjust himself and take steps back safely. Yay! Good job. Getting this tra- getting this translated into doing it when I'm not on his back is much harder. He just wants to go zoom backwards. And it's not necessarily actually fast, but it's thought free. He's just taking steps back. And if there's stuff in the way, he steps on it and then blames me. So this is what I did. I tried just putting raised rails on the ground. They were just set on blocks. So he could back between two rails that were about three feet apart. And he figured out, ooh, if I go straight, I don't bump into them. That's not so bad. So what's my next step to get him... Because I'm going to have to wean him off those poles because it's going to be a, a horse trailer or a ramp that he has to back up without those rails, poles, whatever. So how can I start weaning him off a physical barrier to stay, take steps straight back? That's not a complicated question at all, is it? Yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. And I think you're definitely on the right track, getting them to back with intention rather than just flying backwards. And and when, when a horse does that, it's, it's not always the case, but I put a little mental check mark. I believe that horse has probably had backing used as a punishment. Um, I see that a lot with horses where someone just jerked him back a hundred feet because they thought that would do something. So it can be really hard to break that cycle. Their brain just turns off. And so, yeah, the poles is a really good idea to kind of, you're interrupting that neural pathway that just says fly backwards. The other thing you can add in there before you start thinking about the trailer loading bit is, uh, I know Pat Pirelli has, uh, I think he calls it a yo-yo exercise. So a horse like that where they want to just go back really fast, I will try, I will use the least amount of pressure I can to try to get one step back and then I draw them forward. So I'm interrupting what they think is going to happen. So they might continue to try to back and I'm going to keep light pressure on the lead line and I'll go back with them. I'll do this in a big open like arena so they can't crash into anything. Um, and But I'll just keep maintain this. I'll kind of comb on that lead rope. And like with both hands, I kind of run one hand down, stick the other hand in front and run it down. Almost like you're like when you pull in a hose to start wrapping it up, that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I will continue to do that until they stop backing and come a step forward. And I'll bring them forward and I'll pet them on the face and take a pause and like say, oh man, you did that backup good. Now come on in here and I'm going to pet on you and love on you. Maybe I'll give you a cookie because that horse typically doesn't have an issue with being pushy. You're trying to get them not to fly back. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I'll I'll back them up a step again and then draw them forward. Back up a step, draw forward. Back up a step, draw forward. Until you've interrupted that thought process and you've given them a new habit. Back up, come forward. Back up, come forward. Which is going to come in handy when you trailer load. And then after that, I'm going to say back up one, back up two, come forward. 
backup one, backup two, come forward. And so when I think of a backup, whether you have a horse that's extremely lazy or shut down and you can't even get to get them to back up a step, or you have a horse that wants to back up 400 steps, um, it's helpful to think of the backup. Like if I need this horse to back up 10 steps, I don't think back up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I think of t- telling the horse to back up one step 10 times, if that makes ah, any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, moment. Yeah. So back up one step, release, back up two step, one step, release, two steps, release, back up one step, release, two step, release, three step, release. And in the beginning, it's very slow and you're going one step, release, one step, one step. Uh, one step release, one step release, you know, if that makes any sense. Yes. But by the time it's over, whether it's under saddle or on the ground, it will look like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But if you look at my hands on the reins or the lead rope, you'll see back release, back release, back release, back release. So I'm encouraging the horse with every single step. You're doing it great. You're doing it great. You're doing it great. But I'm I'm not running into the issue of back, 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 back. I personally hate the NRHA reining backup. I hate it. It's stupid looking. That horse is scrambling back. It's nothing I would need on a real working horse setting for them just to mildly run backwards. That's my own little beef. I would rather see energetic backup with the cadence of a trot, meaning they're moving backwards in diagonal pairs. It's like they're marching back, 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 back. That to me is a pretty backup, but that's a whole other thing. (laughs) So I would get that working for you to where, and I think you're definitely on the right path. And this is a way to do it when maybe you don't have the poles present or you're trying to wean him off of the poles. So adding in that backup, now come forward, backup, now come forward. I do the opposite with horses that are pushy. I ask them to stop, now back up, stop, now back up. Yeah. Now for a question, when I'm going through the process of back up one step, come forward, back up two steps, come forward. Um, If he's, because what tends to happen is he tends to back up, but then the haunches go off left or right. Less so under saddle than in hand. So if I say, okay, Nigel, we're standing here, you're going to back up two steps. Would it make sense if, we say we've graduated to four steps. We're going to back up four steps and the haunches start to veer off. My inclination would be to immediately change tactics. Oh, nope, 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 nope. We're going forward because the whole goal is to get him to back perfectly straight because one of the issues he's had from when I got him was when he did back off the trailer, he did it in a bit of a panic and he, it was, it was self-reinforcing because he would go off to the side because the moment his Mm -hmm. eye got out of the trailer, he wanted to see what was going on and he would step off the side of the ramp or whatever and freak out all that stuff. So the goal being step back carefully and perfectly straight. So would it, is it productive or counterproductive to go through this exercise one step back and when the haunches start to veer, immediately come forward again so that we don't reinforce stepping backwards to the side. So articulating that. <laughs> no, that's a perfect question because you do want a very straight back up so they don't step off the side because that can be dangerous. Um, so what I would focus on first, and this is about getting that step you can succeed on, I would put away the crooked backing mentally right now. Like 
okay, this is an issue. We don't, we're not going to focus on this just yet because we're working on the Senate arena. So it doesn't, you know, we're, we're not in any dire danger if he's backing cricket. So the first thing I would work on is just get that back. Doesn't matter where he's veering at the moment to be nice and thoughtful. If he veers to the left, that's fine. All we're focusing on right now is back up calmly, softly, and think about it every time. So don't worry if he veers left or right. We're going to make a note of it. We know we need to fix it, but we're not going to jump on that just yet. Because if you start adding too many steps, he can easily go into back, 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 back. Ah, so okay. don't worry about that. Gotcha. Yeah. Then what I would do is... Um, sometimes instead of trying to fix the backup as he's backing. So if we back up a few steps and he's gone to the left at the end of that backup, I will fix him to where he's straight again. So that could involve either moving his shoulder to the right. So I move the shoulder in the direction where he's backing crooked, if that makes any sense, because if he's backing to the left, his hindquarters are usually veering off to my left. So I will fix it by moving his shoulder to his right. So I move his shoulder to my left. And I will get in a habit of back, 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 step your shoulder across. Or you can back, back, back and and look at his hindquarters and move his hindquarters back to where he's in a straight line again, if that makes sense. So I usually will back a couple steps, then straighten him up. Back a couple steps, straighten him up. Back a couple steps, straighten him up. So and at this point, what I'll actually start doing in order to get a straight line, and this is a core principle of dressage, in order to get them going straight and beautiful across those diagonals or down the center line, a lot of times what we try to, what we do is let's work on circles and squares. So I will do exercise where I'll back them three steps, yield his hindquarters or move his shoulders. And then, uh, so I'll draw a square with my horse back, 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 oh, turn him this way. Back, yeah. Back Again, him in something a square. We have under saddle, efficient, effective, calm, but in hand, he stops thinking. I think somebody might have done some groundwork with him before and he got frazzled by it because as soon as I try to manipulate his haunches in hand, he stops thinking and he just goes into autopilot mode doing things like, what are you doing? I have no idea what you're doing. And then he goes, well, I'm not getting rewarded and I'm doing all the things I think I should be doing. And then, you know, it all disintegrates from there. So that's very interesting. And I can try to do it by um, maneuvering his forehand because um, manipulating the, the the shoulders, he, he's much, much more thoughtful versus he, he maneuvers his haunches. He, he, walk, he steps back crooked and the haunches go off to his left. If I try to adjust the haunches back straight again, the ears go up. He becomes 17 and a half hands tall and he's all over me. <laughs> Yeah, but if and I move the, backing, the forehand, he goes, "Oh, what do you mm -hmm. want me to do?" Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah. If you're backing in hand, it's actually easier for us to move the shoulders. And how I move the shoulders is, I take my hand that's under that's you know under the shank of the lead rope, and I just tip the horse's nose the direction I want the shoulders to go, and until he steps. And I do this in the beginning. It's very like I don't want to say choppy, but it's very broken up. Back, back, back. Step your shoulder over. Back, 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 step your shoulder over and do this in zigzags and squares and circles. And it's in the beginning, it's very back, move your shoulder, back, move your shoulder. But as they get really good at drawing all these little diagrams in the ground, then 
as, I can progress to as you're backing, while your feet are still backing, move your shoulder too as well. So then it starts to flow. So as they're backing, I just tip their nose. So wherever their hindquarters are going. So if I'm backing him and I see his butt sticking out to the left, I lightly tip his nose to the left, to my left, as I'm putting him back. And that will actually push his hindquarters back into that line that I want. And it, so if you can get your horse to back, serpentines, squares, triangles, rectangles, whatever, straight line is very easy. You've got all the tools. There we go. Perfect. As usual, an amazing chit-chat session with Mary, who stops by here the second Thursday of the month. So if somebody wants to appropriately stalk you online, have you come out and do a clinic, find where you're going to be next comp competing, etc. where are they going to do that? Uh, you can hit me up on Facebook, Mary Kitts Miller Horsemanship. Uh, I also am on TikTok, starting to post a little bit more. And I think my username is MK Kitts Miller, but I post all my most of my TikTok videos um, onto Facebook as well. So you can find me through there. Perfect. We'll see you next month.